0: Assalamu alaikum. Welcome and thank you for downloading the Ministry of Tao podcast. Search for us on Facebook and on YouTube. This week's topic is Abu Dar Al ghifari the Truth Seeker. Brothers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for coming down. And this cold wintry day when it's raining and also snow and everything else with it. Um, the talk today, I don't know if you probably got any leave here, but Abu Dar al Mafari. And this man, there's something quite unique about this man, which our speaker will go into. And you know the title of the talk goes into calling for Islam wherever you are. Nowadays, as we know, most of the youth out there, uh the only call I hear is the call of duty. <laughs> yeah, or gears of war, yeah, or battlefield free. That's the only call we'll I hear, and the the message going out there, bro. This Christmas discount price, ten pounds off. That's the only call we seem to hear nowadays. But this is a man who went seeking for something greater than this, and with this inspiration, went to spread it further. So without any further delay, I'm going to pass it over to the speaker here, and inshallah, he'll go into. Uh, for you
1: this As-salamu alaykum brothers Jazakallah khair For coming down This week's um, M.O.D uh, Start off by praising Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala Uh I'm sending peace and blessings upon the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And The blessings also upon the companions of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Which one will be looking at today in particular Named Abu Dar al-Guffari Again with these talks uh, We truly do not do justice to some of these lives that we talk about you know, these, these guys, these women, you know, they were extraordinary people. You know, people we look up to. thousand, four hundred years later, we still know about them. So, within twenty minutes, there's only so much, you know, you can say about this person. But, well, we'll go through, inshallah, and take as much as we can from today, uh, today's talk, or any talk you go to take as much as you can uh, and try you know implement it, implement that into your life so who is abu talib al where did he come from during a uh, pre-islamic uh, era in the uh, in uh, arabia there was a place known as the wadan valley it was in between it was next to mecca not too far not too close but it was on the trade routes from Mecca to Syria. and Within the Wadan Valley, there was a tribe known as the Ghaffar. And within that tribe, there was a man named Jundab ibn Junaidah, aka Abu Dard. That's where you get the name Abu Dard al-Ghaffari, named after his tribe. This tribe, during the days of uh, (coughs) pre-Islam, were known for the criminal activity, they were known for the They were known as the tribe that does, you know, raiding. They raid caravans, and with that, the Quraysh realizing that their trade route, one of the most uh, money-making schemes, was en route. You know, their their tribe was on route, so they were in, you know, a pact with them. They will give them money they made from that um, that caravan, as long as that caravan didn't get raided. But once in a while, you know, if the Quraysh didn't give enough, they'll go raid the caravans. And this is how they made a living. Raiding caravans. Uh, We look at that today, you know, these so-called petty crimes. You know, this is not really like the biggest crime that happened within Mecca, but this is the way they Survived, and we look at this reality today, and we look at you know some of the youth and what they do. I know a few that live around my area. I see them. You see them everywhere. You know this this attitude of being blood related and tribalism is finished. But that bond that they come together is moved on to something else. It's now an area code postcode unites these people and you see them out in the corners especially Friday and Saturday night, they'll wait waiting for those clubbers, waiting for people to come out and they rob them, mug them they sell drugs this is some of the petty crime that we've got involved in and this is not just, these are the youth of today, we see the same thing that these uh, so-called criminals used to do where they used to just wait, proud, just... I was reading a report, I think, uh, it was last year sometime, where they talked about Bloomsbury, Holborn area, which is not known for its crime, has the highest rate of muggings, the highest rate of muggings in London. That area is not known for crime, but yet, why? Because the tourists are there. And the tourists get mugged regularly. They get their phones, the cameras, the money taken. And this is something that the police gained attention to. The same thing, just as these people used to turn to petty crime, our youth today do the same sort of thing. They prowl around at night You see them. And this is the sort of activities, so to speak, our youth get up to. But Abu Dhab was a bit different. Even though he grew up in the atmosphere where his peeps will go out and they'll... Do the robbing and whatnot. He was a bit different He was a a more calmer person He he was courageous Don't get me wrong But he was a calmer More um, Down to earth He didn't associate didn't like associating With stuff like that He knew that was wrong So When the news of a new prophet Came to him When he heard the news of That a new prophet Had arrived In a nearby village Known as Mecca He was overjoyed Straight away he got on to his, he got to his, he called his brother and sent him to the Rasul and Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and told him go gain as much information as you can and come back and tell me. So his brother went, learned what he had to, came back and told him A to Z about what his experience was with the Rasul. But Abu Dhar wasn't satisfied. Abu Dhar wasn't happy with that just hearing about. He needed to see the Rasul himself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he set off, and we took about it was not too far, not too close. But you have to think about the time as well. It wasn't a time where you could just jump on a train and get there, or jump on a bus, hire a minicab. You know, there was a distance that needed to be travelled, and the best way was camel. It took days, even travelling days. So this man realized that even though he Is a great distance, he has to travel, he still got up and he went. Just to meet this Mu'an man. That distance didn't hold him back, that travel didn't hold him back. He went out. He went out to seek this man. And we relate that to our youth again, the same situation. Travelling great distance for a purpose. But this time we see our youth travelling great distance because they heard there was a good club there. And just hearing about it wasn't good enough. They needed to go see it for themselves. You know? It happens all the time. Oh, there's a good club in Southwold. You know, let's go there and eat Day. And they travel great distance. They spend money. While this man, on the other hand, spent money and travel great distance to find, you know, the truth. Our youth today travel great distance because, you know, there's a nice club over there. I'm talking about travelling within Europe, uh, within uh, London or within the UK. People will travel, spend money, they'll fly to places like Cancun and uh, Ayanapa. We've all heard about these places. People will travel there just for that buzz of, you know, going out clubbing. Hearing isn't good enough. I have to go see it myself. And we look at the same situation and we see that our youth of today have you know, even though they know about these great men from our past, have gone off track, and this is what they look for to satisfy their needs. Anyway, but back to the story of uh, Abu Dhar. So he got to the he got to Mecca, you know, after a great distance of travel, he got there. He needed a place to stay. There was no one around. But one thing he realized was when he got there. That the Meccans were not too grateful to see him, and he also had heard from his brother about the violent violence that the Muslims were be, uh, were being treated with by the Meccans. They were torture. They were killings. You know, especially the weak and outsiders, those who didn't have tribal link, were being killed. And with Abu Dhar Al Fari, having no tribal links in Mecca. He was a bit wary. So he didn't tell anyone what he came for. So Naifu came and he needed a place to stay. So he thought, you know, I'll go by the Kaaba and I'll sleep. You know, this is the best place, probably the safest place for me. I'll go there. But a man known as Abu uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib was passing by. And he noticed that this outsider was just lying on the, you know, next to the Kaaba. So he invited him. He invited him over to his house he didn't know who he was he thought look you know it's a Islamic action to look after the needy for okay let's you know I'll give him a place to stay no questions were asked he didn't ask Ali any questions Ali didn't uh, uh, Abu Dar didn't ask Ali any questions Ali didn't ask Abu Dar any questions he went the night uh, the next day came Abu Dhar went on his way same thing happened the next day he you know he Went out seeking for the Rasul but didn't tell anyone because he didn't know who he could trust. But at last, the second day, he still couldn't find the Rasul. So, same thing, he went, stepped by the Kaaba again. And this time, again, same person, Ali bin Abu Talib, was passing by and sees the same man. And, and then, you know, goes to him and goes, you know, greets, greets him and tells him, Isn't it time for you to know, uh, for a man to know his place or his house, meaning? You could come, you know, If you, as long as you're here, you could stay with me. You don't have to stay by the Kaaba. So they went. Again, no questions were asked by both of them. They didn't ask each other anything to do with what he was here for nothing like that. Night spent. He went out again the third day. No luck again on the third day. He was looking for the Rasul, trying to keep to himself. No luck. This, guy, this man has now traveled a great distance And spent three nights Literally he was going to spend three nights on the streets If this man Abu Talib I mean Ali ibn Abu Talib never showed up But this was the determination that he had To find this one man And speak to him The third night came And Ali saw him again on the, uh, next to the Kaaba So he invited him again But this time before, I'm going to have to ask him I'm going to have to, this, he keeps going back to the same place, there's something. So he asked him. Abu Dhab being a bit wary, not knowing who this man was, again, remember, they haven't spoken personal stuff or nothing like that. It was basic, uh, just greetings. He, he just said, look, you know, don't take it any, in any wrong way. Don't judge me in any wrong way. I've come for a certain man. I've come to see a certain man. And Abu Talib you know uh, Ali ibn Abu Talib realized that, you know, this he might become for the Rasul so he inquired a bit more who he, who he was and he, he explained. I heard there was a prophet that had emerged at Mecca and I've come to meet meet him. And at this point, knowing Ali Ali's face lit up like this time of tower right now, this is straight away he was on it. He was Literally he started telling him they spent the whole night discussing about the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and what Islam was. And he told him, Tomorrow when we wake up, you're gonna follow me. Don't tell don't ask anyone anything. All you're gonna do is follow me. Stay behind me you're gonna follow me, enter the house that I enter. So they both went to they both went for to we'll get some rest before the next day, but Abu Dhab being so excited, you know. Couldn't go to sleep He was too happy He was like From all the things Sleep on the street And the man that found me Is going to take me straight to the Prophet's house So in the morning Come Ali bin Abu Talib You know Took him So he followed They went down the path And You know They bumped into uh, Sorry They took him He took him to the Rasul's house where he met the Rasul, and amazingly, for the first time in the history of Islam, this was remember he hadn't accepted Islam yet. He greeted the Rasul with Assalamu Alaikum, Ya Rasulullah. Well, the Rasul replied back, as Assalam, and that became the first time that a Muslim had greeted another Muslim with Salaam. And from that day, it became a normal occurrence. This man who traveled a great distance, spent rough nights, was the first man to come out with salam. So the salam you give to each other was this man who was the first person to give salam to the Rasul like that. But yet we see youth today, you know, this man who came out with a great... uh, Lingo, so to speak, you know, a lingo that's spoken 1,400 years later. our youth today, you know, we see come out with their own personal lingo. My, one of my favorite, this is this is a bit weird, but one of my favorite. I didn't know this. This situation occurred. So I was sitting at, I can't remember where I was, where I was, and one of the lingos was there was a group of guys, young guys, until about 15, probably 15 to 18. I'm sitting there with another brother. And I hear them talking. I could hear them, oh yeah, there's about 12 guys came around, and so and so got sucked. I'm like, what? 12 guys sucked this guy? <laughs> 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 and then I, I, I was shocked. So I, I straight away I called up some of the younger ones I know. I was like, what does this word mean? Because <laughs> I was I was, short, I was like, what? Shall I say? What should I do? Cool. <laughs> and he goes, no, Suck means getting mugged. That's the word that they could come up with to describe market. Someone getting robbed is suck. Another one is bang, a-bang. What? That means he hit him. <laughs> what kind of weird words are these? These, But these are common words that you hear. Suck, hope, alhamdulillah died out. I don't really hear that anymore. Alhamdulillah that died out. That's, I don't know who came up with that, but he, he shouldn't be proud of himself. But like, constantly hear kids, you know, I hear my five-year-old nephew talking uh, like, oh yeah, like, you know, like this, that, and I'm like, five years old, where did you learn this from? But these are the lingos that we're coming out with, and some of these lingos are, you know, really like the word suck for mug is like doesn't make sense, but yet, we're so proud of them, we use them so openly. But anyway, after he has met the Rasul, And proclaim, you know, the salam. You know, the Rasul ﷺ, knowing the situation of Mecca, told him, look, you know, again, you're not connected here. You have no one to back you. There's not much help many of the Muslims can give you as we're going through problems ourselves. Lay low. Don't tell anyone about your reversion. Don't tell anyone about your conversion to Islam. Sorry. Conversion to Islam. Um keep it silent. If you need to, go home. We could teach you now, and then when you're done, you could go home. But, what happened was, he wasn't happy with that. He wasn't happy with that. He came out, Ya Rasul, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to proclaim it, at the Kaaba. The heart of Mecca, you know, where the elite of the Meccans used to be. I'm going to go there, I'm going to proclaim it there. I'm going to proclaim my Shahada there. And the Rasul advised him, don't go do that. You know, don't go out and do this. There's no, literally no protection for you. These people will try to kill you. And he said, no, I'm gonna go out. And the Rasul stayed silent. So off he went. And remember, this is, this is the first day he had met the Rasul. Yeah, this is after a whole travel from a place known as Ghaffar. Three days of, you know, Rough sleeping, so to speak, being the Rasul, and now going out. The determination that he had to take, that for him to go out. So he we went to the Kaaba, and in front of all, in front of most or all the uh, elite of uh, Mecca, he proclaimed, ilaha illallah Shahadatul Muhammad Rasulullah," and. They straight away just looked at him Like What's this man doing? What's this man doing? This man Who does this man think he is? And they just jumped him Literally beat him To the point where they almost killed him Beat him to the point They almost killed him And then But Luckily for him An uncle of the Prophet ﷺ Recognized him Recognized who he was He realized he was from that tribe father, and if this man gets hurt, then their caravans will not ever make it to Syria. So he jumped in. He's like, "No, you can't hit this guy." And start protecting him. You can't hit this guy. This guy is well connected, so to speak. And then when they realized when he told them who he was and what tribe he was from, they will step back. So they let him go after being beaten up. He went. You know, he was but he was satisfied. With the beating, He wasn't that you know this was something bad on him. He knew the situation and he knew what he was doing, and he took a beating for that. He took a beating because it, it was something he needed to do, as he as he said, and only because of his connections, only because of his tribe and the connections that they had, uh, the the situation of Mecca being tribalism and whatnot, he was protected. So luckily his tribe was a criminal tribe Well, you know, died that day But we see our youth today Same sort of mentality They'll take a beating They'll take a beating, our youth will take a beating But it won't be for religion It won't be for the Rasul, it won't be for Allah you will be the postcode Or your skin color You know, he's white, I'm black Oh, he's Asian, you know, he's black, not mixing. Not even that, I don't know, Asians, Asians, street to street people fighting. Street to street, not even postcode. They got the same postcode. It's street to street. That's it, these from another, these over there. What? Seriously. That's what our youth will take beats for. But yet this man, who, you know, traveled that great distance, spent days on the street, or rough sleeping if it wasn't for Ali bin Abu Talib took a beating for Islam on his first day as a Muslim. On his first day. But yet we see youth today who literally the crime rate for youth is is just crazy. You know youth carrying knives and guns. Why do you need a gun in the streets of London? It is doesn't make any sense. Who else is carrying guns? Some people might say in America, you know, the youth carry guns because the police carry... No, police carry guns here. Who are you carrying guns for? The knife crime has gone skyrocketed and so they came out with deposit your knives at the local police... Who's going to deposit your knife at the local police station? Doesn't make sense. You're not going to go to the police station and give a knife up. It doesn't work. Maybe at a youth club or something, but the police station doesn't work. These are some of the ways they try tackling uh, knife crime. but this is this is the situation that we face today, where we have youths constantly going out, killing each other. I remember what I read one time in one, uh, I can't remember what newspaper it was, where they went into his house, they kicked down his door, went into his house while he was sleeping, put a shotgun to his head, and then killed him. Youth, these were not these were young boys riding around. One of them riding around on a bicycle with a gun. Parked up, and that was it, someone died That's the situation we see with youth today But yet, in the other hand, we have a person who took beating for something that meant something Something that changed the world But yet, today we have youth For a postcode or a street Oh, my gang is better than your gang Oh, he said something wrong about my gang makes no sense. But anyway, after the beating, he decided to go back and tell the Rasulullah, like, yeah, this is what happened to me. And the Rasul just said, I told you, I told you this was going to happen, he was like, doesn't matter, I feel good, I feel good, this is, this is something I wanted to do. So the Rasul realizing that now that the people know he's Muslim, he's number one target, even though he's connected, they'll find ways around it to get rid of him. They'll find ways. They'll contact the Gufar tribe and they'll find ways to get rid of him. So he told him, go back. Go back to your homeland. I mean, go back, to, not your homeland. Go back to the city you're from and start from there. You know, go back and give Islam to the people of Gufar. Uh, so he decided, okay, fair enough. If this is the way the Rasul wants to say, if this is the best way, then I'll go. So he went back, the first person he bumped into, or the first person he told was his brother The brother that he sent first time round to meet the Rasul sallallahu Alaihi But his brother, you know, me and his brother they discussed and he found out that his brother had already accepted Islam Alhamdulillah So they decided, okay, fine, now that way they were going to go back uh, They went to, the, first, the second person he went to was his mother, and his mother also accepted Islam after, you know, tirelessly inviting people to the way of Islam, you know, they, he had done enough to start a congregational uh, prayer within Rufar. So, this is this one man who went back and started, you know, a congregation in his town, in his village. He had, you know, gone out, given dawah, invited people to Islam, and you know that area had grown so large. Uh, the Muslims, the the Muslims there had grown large enough to start a congregational prayer and set up their own mosque. It was all down to him and his his uh, commitment to Islam, his commitment to what he saw was the truth. But yet, we see with our youth today that. Even though this man who came from a different tribe or different background went, met the Rasul and was sent by himself. He went by himself. He didn't have no one... Obviously afterwards he went there and realized his brother was Muslim. But he went there knowing, thinking that he was by himself. And yet he spread the call of Islam. But yet we have so many brothers around us. So many. And yet we struggle to do some basic stuff. That's it starts off with me. Uh, me first, you know, we have so many brothers, so many things. So many the internet, the T V we have the local mosque, we have circles like this, but yet, you know, that simple thing of you know just meeting your brother telling someone about Islam, we struggle But yet he knew that this was something he had to do. He was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He knew he had to go out And he had to spread this He had to tell everyone about what it was How it changed lives How it changed his life And how it changed the tribe of Far from being a criminal uh, tribe Where they went out and robbed caravans To becoming, you know, pious individuals Who gave up all that And we should take lesson from him on this point That no matter where we are in this world, the Dawah never stops. No matter where we are. So we're here now in London. But the same goes to people in America, South America, you know, anywhere in Africa. These things, we still, because these are looked at as the Western world. Oh, this is the Western world. This is something, you know, they have their way, we have art. People might view it like that. But it's not the way we should view it. This is not the way we should view it. At the beginning, only the Rasul was Muslim. Only the Rasul was Muslim. Abu Dhar was not Muslim. He was from a different sort of background. But yet, they spoke. You know, they went out, they gave dawah, they tried. And it's up to Allah who Allah, you know, accepts as Muslim. But, you know, our job is to go out and spread the deen. Spread Islam. You know, let people know about the greatness of Islam. Show them how, how it affects you and how it takes you out from what you used to be to what you are now. And we should never forget that. No matter where we are, no matter where, what situation we're put in, that we should always make Islam the forefront of our lives. But that doesn't take away fact, the, the fact that even when we're in our homeland, so I'm from Bangladesh, I would say that place needs more... Dawah than any other place. Like, there's some crazy stuff that happened Bangladesh but that's a different story <laughs> amongst itself. But even more, I think majority of us from Bangladesh here, we have big Benguli community here, so majority of us from Bangladesh but our brothers are from other countries as well, Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Uh, when you go back, this is where you do Dawah as so This is you know, your people this is so called your people, you know, your tribe, your your neighbours, your friends. This is, your, this is the opportunity, you should never give this opportunity up But that that wasn't the whole of Abu Dahl's life It still goes on He went out, became, reverted his his tribe But he carried on, even after the Prophet sallallahu died he never stopped. He went out as far as Syria, Syria to the north of Arabia, <coughs> to give Dawah, to go out and spread the call of Islam, to show people this is the life. And it's because of these men that we became Muslim. You know, our people, our tribe, our back, our families became Muslim because they they went out <coughs> and they gave effort in the way of Allah Subhanahu. <laughs> But during his during his end, he, the brother uh, the Sahab died the 32 years after Hijri, uh, in the at the time of uh, Uthman, I think it was Uthman uh, was the Sultan at the time, and you know this man, you know he lived very simply. There was a time where a person went and visited him in his house and was shocked by the content he had. He was like, literally had nothing. He was like, where's your content? Where's your stuff in your house? And he's like, don't worry. The stuff I have, I've sent to my other home. Meaning, I've, I've filled up my home in Jannah, inshallah. And I don't need to fill up this home. That was his reply back. I don't need to fill this home up. I've, you know, filled up in Jannah. But this man, even to the point where Uthman bin Affan gave him money, literally he saw his state and gave him money, and he rejected he said, no, it's alright, you can take it back. Give it to someone more deserving of Abu This is what he said. Give it to someone more deserving uh, than Abu Dhar. He lived a very simple life. But the main thing, as I said, we take away from this is, we don't waste our time, you know, as Muslims, we shouldn't, you know, think that we can't do anything. That we make, no, we make no change anyway, you know, we're just one person here. If he had taken the same mentality when he went back to his place, what would have happened to the tribe of Uffar? The tribe of Ufad would, you know, probably still be in Jahiliya, in the old ways. But thanks to this man, you know, they changed. And we should take a lesson from that. As Muslims, how many of us have spoken to our parents? How many of us have spoken to our brothers and sisters? Our neighbors? the People in the mosque? Our work colleagues? Our school colleagues? Our teachers? Loads of people. There's tons of people to speak to. We should never be ashamed. We know this is the the truth. Undoubtedly, (coughs) this is the truth. So I ended there, inshallah. And I hope you've taken taken something from the life of Abu Dara Gulfari. I've not done justice to just talk. Literally, you need to go read and listen to some of these sahabas. Their lives and the effort that they gave towards Islam.
0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. You can subscribe to it from our blogspot at centralmod.blogspot.com to receive our weekly podcast. Assalamu alaikum.